The following podcast is presented by Together Washington. Together Washington, we are seeking to build bridges across divides and tell the inspiring stories of those building the common good. If you'd like to support or get involved with Together Washington, go to togetherwashington.com. I want to introduce our guest for the day. We have uh, James Donaldson on the show. He's in studio and uh, just a, a great opportunity to talk to a great man. I've had the opportunity to uh, meet him when we uh, were part of a group called His Deal, which is a great group of folks uh, led by Seattle legend George Tolls, radio legend George Tolls. And uh, George introduced James and I. And James, it is a pleasure to have you in studio today. Welcome to Live from Seattle. Hey, Tim. It is so great to be here. and so good to see you again. Uh, this has been a long, long year for everyone. We were trying to recall the last time you and I saw each other in person. We, saw it, we said a year ago, but it's got to be much more than a year ago <laughs> yes. at this point. I know. Everything seems like it's like dog years right now or something. <laughs> That's exactly but. right. But it's, it's great to be here. And what a beautiful day in Seattle. A beautiful day. So tell... Tell the, I know we've got – I'm really excited to – I wish I – I want to kind of jump right to some exciting news, but sure. I'm going to hold myself in check on that. <laughs> okay. Um, because it, we've kind of got – we've got to build, build it up. That's right. right that's and, right. And if my wife is listening, she's like, Tim uh, – classic Tim because she, she's like, Tim, you're like the – the classic build up the stories. Just tell everybody what they want to hear. You have to like tell this long, drawn out thing. I'm like, no, you got to love the build up. Yeah, gotta. yeah. But um, so, James, just tell our folks. I mean, you've you've been here a long time. I mean, you went to Washington State University. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played for the Sonics. You played for the Mavericks. You played for a number of other NBA teams. You had a um, a uh, the Donaldson Clinic, That's right? Right. Yeah. Physical therapy. Fitness. Physical therapy. Yeah. yeah. So just give give the folks just kind yeah. of a, a curve review of of, uh, of your life and and just some of the experiences that you've had. Thank you. Well, I've, I've jammed a lot into my 63 years and uh, continue putting more in there. Uh, you know, the Lord's blessed me with uh, the ability to do a lot and the desire to do a lot and continue doing as best I can for everybody around me. Uh, originally from Sacramento, California, this is where I grew up at, uh, an Air Force brat. My dad was in the Air Force for 20 years. Uh, a U.S. Postal Service worker for 20 years after that. So, you know, he did uh, a lot of time for the U.S. government. And that's where we grew up. Uh, I didn't know the first thing about the Pacific Northwest growing up in Sacramento until uh, a man named George Raveling came calling. Oh, that's a good, that's a, that's a Hall of Famer coach right there. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's Hall of Famer. Big time, big time. Scouting up and down the West Coast, and he heard about me. There was also another really bona fide basketball player in Sacramento at the time, Bill Cartwright. Oh, I've heard of him. Okay, yeah. yes. NBA yes. champion with the Bulls. Oh, several times, yes. Right. And so Bill was Mr. Basketball. I was Mr. Just kind of getting started, trying to figure it out and figure out my way. George gave me the wonderful opportunity, to, though, to get an athletic scholarship to Washington State University. I took him up on, on his offer. I wasn't highly recruited, so I only had a handful of offers anyway. But I just attached to George right away. He was like a second father figure for me. And um, I went up to Pullman, Washington, uh, a a far cry from Sacramento where I grew up. Yeah, what was that like? What was (laughs) that like when you first rolled up into Pullman? What what were you thinking? You talk about culture shock. Uh, You know, now Sacramento is kind of, uh, you know, the big city in Northern California. Nothing like L.A. or San Diego and those places. 
but it has a lot of rural areas around it, a lot of farming, a lot of agriculture. So that was okay. Pullman was like a uh, a microcosm of all that, a smaller version of it with a big college town that the whole town revolved around, Washington State University. I fell in love with it when I first got there, though. The people were so nice. And for me, it was an opportunity to get away from Sacramento to kind of spread my wings a little bit, um, go to college, the first person in my family to do so, not only go to college, but also graduate from college. And that was my first experience of really getting out and starting to grow up as a young man underneath the tutelage of George Raveling. Yeah, wow. Great mentor, great coach, and still a great friend of mine. He's uh, matter of fact, I co-dedicated my latest book to him. Oh, wow. How uh, old is Coach now? Coach is about 85 now. 85, wow. Where is he living? Los Angeles. In L.A., okay. Yes, so All right. I, I co-dedicated the book to him and also my other great coach, Lenny Wilkins. Oh, man. So you'll see. Another, man, you had, <laughs> my goodness, you had some fortune with hey, some of your coaches. You know, my yeah, goodness God, God, God's been good. He handed me off from one person to another, and they've all been really great for me. And so, you know, I grew up under George's tutelage and mentoring and coaching. The first couple of years, I hardly ever played at all. I wasn't good enough to really play. I was just kind of finding my way. Spending a lot of time in the weight room, a lot of time on the track, out there and running the stadium stairs, getting bigger, stronger, faster, and those kind of things. It wasn't until about my junior year I finally rolled into becoming a bona fide student athlete for a Pac-10 level. Mm -hmm. Was it Pac-8 back then or was it it Pac-10? Pac-8 when I first joined. Became the Pac-10 about midway through, and okay. now it's the Pac-12. That's right. That's right. Yes. Did they? Was Beasley there when you were there, or was that pre-Beasley? It was called the Performing Arts Coliseum when I was there. Okay. Uh, I don't know when it changed to Beasley Coliseum, but the building was there. Same. It's the same building. Same building. Got yes, it. Yes, okay. yes, yes. And so I uh, had a wonderful four years there. I loved Pullman so much. I stayed every single summer. Training, working out. I had a little summer part-time job. I'd work Cougar Cage camp for all the kids. Oh, I grew up going to Cougar Cage. <clears throat> That's right. Every remember, year, Cougar remember, Cage. Oh, wonderful, my goodness. Wonderful times. Oh, yeah. And I was there from 75 to 79, graduated in 79, and the, was drafted by Lenny Wilkins and the Seattle yeah. Supersonics. Yeah. Who had just won the NBA World Championship in 1979. Yeah, Wow. There was no room at the end for a young green, no wet, wet behind the ear guy like me. Well, and they had—I mean, they had some good post players, right? I mean, of course, they, they had Lonnie Shelton and and Sigma, Sigma and Den- and Dennis uh, Autry. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. So, uh, needless to say, I didn't even try out for the team that year. I went overseas to Italy and played my first professional year. And in Italy, I can play, you know, all 40 minutes of the game. I'm running up and down, really getting a feel for the game and getting better all the time. Came back the next year and made the Sonic team. Yeah, so wow. that was my beginning. I mean, that's a, to make that team <laughs> at that mm-hmm. time, I mean, is yeah. is a big deal, right? I mean, that was an elite yes, team, yes. right? It, that it, was elite. Championship caliber players in every position. Uh, yeah. You know, Fred Downtown Brown and right. Gus, Gus Williams, oh John my, Johnson. Oh, my goodness. Lonnie yeah. Shell, all the great players. Wow. Here. Hey, we're on with James Donaldson. We're talking about uh, his days with the Sonics. But coming up after the break, we're also going to hear about some pretty exciting news that he's got. And I think it's – I don't know if this is an exclusive, but uh, we like exclusives here. We 
We've got James Donaldson with us today. He's in the studio, uh, former Seattle Supersonic and longtime Seattle community leader. So glad to have you, James. And we were talking about... Um, but I do have Cougar Cage a little bit there, you oh, know, yeah. and yes. the years I went, that was when Coach Sampson yes. was at Wazoo, okay. and yep. and uh, man, Coach Sampson, he he doesn't mess around. Like he, yeah. man, I remember those were some intense <laughs> basketball camps. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I oh. mean, it, it was, and I like coaches like that personally. Like mm-hmm. I like coaches who are, you know, they'll get after a little bit. That's you know? right. Wonderful times, and we don't have those kind of camps anymore. Matter of fact, me and a small group of fellows are thinking about recreating Cougar Camp, Cougar Case Camp up at Ellensburg at Central Washington University. Really? Maybe in the next summer or the summer after. And I, I'd like to bring it back, just kind of have a place where hundreds of kids can come from all over the state. Kids who aren't the five-star, elite star players, just just kids who want to play basketball and get away and have a summer camp. That's what we're thinking about. I love it. C- count me in. If, yeah. you, if you need some help, well, let I, you know. I coach, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Hoopaholics. Yes, which, of course. So I coach uh, yeah. girls Hoopaholics, my two daughters' basketball Hoopaholics team. Good. And, and um, speaking of basketball here, you know, we here in the last two weeks, so we had on, uh, two weeks ago, had a, uh, a really good friend of mine who we played basketball together in college, and he's a... He is going to be, I don't know if you're familiar with Last Chance U. It's on Netflix. It's no. one of the most popular documentaries out there today huh. on Netflix. And huh. it's typically a football one. They go to a, a junior college mm. and they follow a junior college season. You know, all these athletes who go to JUCOs who are super, super talented D1 types, but mm. but they mm. need, you know, the grades or they need a second chance. Okay. And so it's been a really popular wow. series. Wow. But they're launching a new one next in in eight days okay. on March 10th, and it's a bas- It's their first basketball one, and oh. so they went to East LA Junior yes. College, wow. where my one of my closest friends is their coach. Okay, so he's the featured coach on this uh, upcoming Netflix series, Last Chance You. Okay. So okay. check that out. We had him on the show a couple weeks ago talking about that, and then wow. last week, I don't. Do you know Fred Kroll? Did you ever know Fred Kroll uh, from NBC think, Camps? Don't okay. think so. No, don't think Anyways, so. Anyways, we've been talking a little basketball. I like the I like the basketball themes. Isn't this is great. Well, this is good. That's who I am or who I've been. So. Yeah. So you um, so you made the team, and then um, you were with the Sonics for a couple years, and then yes. you know, I mean you were in the in the league for Four, what? fourteen years altogether. Fourteen years. Fourteen years. Yeah. yeah, my first three years with the Sonics. Okay, and you did make yeah. the All Star team one year. I did. Uh, you know, the first three years with the Sonics, I loved Seattle. I fell in love with Seattle. I've never left. I've traveled the world. I've been in many countries, many cities that are fabulous places to be, but none of them equate to what Seattle has to offer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the indoors and outdoor activities, the vibrancy, the beauty, the nature. I love it, and so. All those years, so I made Seattle home in 1980 when I first moved here and played three years with Sonics, got traded down to San Diego when San Diego had a team. Oh, the Clippers. The Clippers, played three years with them. We moved to L.A. the second year when I was there and then traded again over to the Dallas Mavericks where I played seven years and that was pretty much the apex of my career where I was playing personally my best basketball, had some great teams, and I made the All-Star team in 1988 as well. Congratulations. So, yeah, so that yeah. Was big, big achievements and accomplishments with the Dallas Mavericks. Went to the New York Knicks with Pat Riley and Pat Ewing and all those guys yeah, wow. in 1992, and then finished up the Utah Jazz. Okay. Who was your coach in Dallas? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, in Dallas, I started out with Dick Mata. Mata. 
And then John McLeod came in, and then Richie Adubato. So we had three coaches in the seven years I was there. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's never easy. No, it's always hard to change and keep, keep uh, you know, all the guys on the same page and everything. But we managed, and we had some very, very good teams all the way to the Western Conference Finals, I believe, in 1988. Right. Mm-hmm. So now the big question is, yeah. James, are we going to – are we going to get the Sonics back, right? I mean, it's been uh, now, yeah. goodness sakes, what, 12, 13 years? 12, I mean, is yeah. that unbelievable they that left. it's been that long? 2008, I remember it well. Right. Yes, Unbe- yes. I mean, I, I just can't believe it's been that long. I mean, it just seems like yeah. yesterday that that happened. And here we are. I mean, I don't. do you follow much of kind of the – Get you know reallocation of teams and do do you keep up on on the Sonics and if they're coming back and all that? Not really. I hear the whispering. I hear the rumor mill and things. You know, I remember the day that we that the Sonics left. I did a, a marathon uh, broadcast for King Five TV, and I can't remember the sports anchor at the time, but we were there for about six or eight hours that whole day, listening to Howard Schultz, listening to the owners of the Oklahoma City team. And just replaying the great memories of the 42 years the Sonics were here. Mm -hmm. What a sad day that was. But here it is, you know, 12, 13 years later. There's talk about possibly a team coming back. Uh, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, is talking about possible expansion. He wants $2.5 billion for an expansion team. So if we can find some folks around here that can pony up that kind of money. Yeah. Uh, the arena's being redone. There might be another arena built one day. So we have all the amenities that are necessary. Yeah. I know a couple people <laughs> that live around here who have got enough money for that. Uh, <laughs> I do too. But, uh, <laughs> but it's their money. It's not our money. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So so Seattle obviously meant a lot to you for, you know, you, you, you played here for a couple years, but really, I mean, this is now, yeah. this has been your home. So, yeah. I mean, it really. Your your time here must have really it, Seattle must have stood out to you during it, your time here. It really did. I think a lot of it was helped by the fact that so many of my friends from WSU were from the western side of the state. So we all graduated together, came back to the Seattle Puget Sound area, got our respective careers started. A lot of those friends are still great friends now, forty years later, and uh, here we are now, all approaching retirement one day. So uh, it's amazing where the time goes. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's a, it's got a. I mean, just thinking about what it feels like yesterday, yeah. you know, and just having those college memories and yes. unbelievable. Yeah. We're on with James Donaldson, a former Seattle Supersonic, Maverick, Jazz, and he's been a longtime Seattle community leader, and he's got some exciting news that we're going to have him share. We've got James Donaldson with us. We just had a great time talking about his mm. his basketball career, but but actually on to some really important things that I'm just really impressed with. And you know, I was telling James I just saw the recent segment that Eric Johnson did, yeah, you and him, which was really really powerful. And um, you just wrote a book mm-hmm. called "Celebrating <clears throat> Your Gift of Life." From the verge of suicide to a life of purpose and joy, and that just released. Yes. And this is, you know, the the byline is, you know, an NBA All Star opens up about his mental health journey, mm. and and knowing, you know, and I watched the the segment you did with Eric, which yeah. was just 
Thanks. Amazingly powerful. And I just yeah. appreciate you for, you know, sh- sharing your story. I mm. mean, I think we, we need people to share their stories, but yeah. for our listeners yeah. today, you know, why did, why did you write the book? Well, the book is a kind of a culmination of the experiences I went through myself, um, never knowing much about mental health challenges that other people might go through, never having those things myself. I don't think I ever had a depressed day in my life up until five years ago or so when I was all of a sudden hit with these things. And so I wrote the book because I realized I have a, I have a platform still as a former professional athlete, as a community leader, as a business entrepreneur, as a uh, you know a, a, a person of color, uh, communities of color are just notoriously shy about talking about mental health. It's a big stigma, a big taboo. We just don't talk about it. And so I realized, I said, you know, I still have so much more to give. And this is going to be my next chapter of my life being a voice and an advocate for mental health awareness and suicide prevention. So that's why I wrote the book. It tells my story, my journey. It tells a lot of helpful tips and strategies I implemented and other things that other people can do as well. It is a kind of a reflective, uh, interactive kind of book where the writer can even, or the reader can write in the book different exercises at every end of chapter. And I think it really is going to help so many people out there going through a very difficult time now. You know, the statistics tell us that two out of five of us will go through some kind of mental challenge sometime in our life. But with this pandemic going on, that easily goes to three out of five now. Mm. And especially with kids who are not getting the socialization they need, staying away from their friends, staying away from school, uh, just not having that typical childhood like you and I have had. Right. And that's what's really starting to hurt them. Yeah, and I and I noted this even about two weeks ago. Um, you know, I grew up in Edmonds, and in one week in Edmonds, Edmonds School District, they had three kids. Mm-hmm. You know, who mm-hmm. ended their life in one week. Yes, um, which yes. is, yes. Um, and and we're seeing that yeah. on a daily basis in terms of on in the headlines and, and what's happening. And yeah. may, James, maybe you could take our listeners back yeah. a little bit. You mentioned that during the break. You know. Typically, as humans, maybe we can handle mm-hmm. two or three tough things right. in a row, right. but but six or seven <clears throat> is 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 yeah. is next level. That's I mean, take right. take our listeners back to what you experienced, and yeah. you know, as you mentioned, you know, you you weren't a depressed person, no. but, but then some things happened. That's right. That's right. And let me let me touch on our school kids just a second. Uh, in a typical year. The state of Washington loses two school-aged kids to suicide every single day, two, from age 8 to 18. Can you imagine an 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old taking their lives? I mean, this is just horrific to even think that they might be that depressed. And before the pandemic shutdown, I was going around to several schools speaking to student assemblies. There might be four or five, six hundred kids in there, and at the end, there's always four or five or six that come up and tug on my shoulder, walk me over by themselves, and say, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm suicidal right now, and I don't know how I'm going to make it through the night." You know, and the tears are in their eyes, just like they come into my eyes. <clears throat> it's the saddest thing to see that these poor kids are crying out for help, and they don't know how to get the help. But they don't have the life experiences that you and I have of being able to weather the ups and downs of life. 
Well, not when you're 10 years old. You just don't know. Everything's mm-hmm. been hunky-dory and fine and they're taken care of. But now you're hitting a roadblock and an obstacle that you don't know how to handle. And so I make sure I take note. I turn the information over to the principals or the school counselors and say, hey, please keep an eye on this kid. Talk to them when you get a moment and just make sure they're going to be okay. So that's the state that we are living in on a typical year. This is the atypical year we're just coming out of. It might be three or four times that now. Who knows? Mm, man, it just, I mean, it just absolutely breaks my heart to just that's think true. about the, as you said, the, the isolation and, and a lot of places. You know, where do you, where do people go? That's right. right. That's who, do they, who do they have to talk to, especially if, it's, if there's a, a stigma Yes. And who who do they go to? Yes, yes. The other big difference is the fact that, you know, kids, this is their best friend now. I'm holding up my iPhone. Mm-hmm. This is their best friend. They don't have a real friend, childhood friend like you and I had growing up who we can always pal around with and talk to, dream about what our future is going to be. This little iPhone can't help you at one or two in the morning when you can't sleep and you're having suicidal ideations. It will not help you. You've got to have real intimate friendships with people and that's the thing we're starting to get away from so yeah. much yeah take us back a little bit james and just kind of share with us just kind of the, yeah. the your personal journey in this and and just i mean it was a yeah. to go f- and, and and i mentioned in the break that you know we're when you look at the scriptures you mm-hmm. see that um especially the psalms you know that all of us yeah. as humans none of us is immune yeah. to experience um, you know, just really dark days, mm-hmm. very dark mm-hmm. days. In fact, there's an old author, St. John of the Cross, talks about the dark night of the soul. Mm, yes, that yes. We, we actually need, everyone's going to experience yeah. the dark night of the soul. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, my story, you know, things were rolling right along. I was 57 years old, uh, 2015. January 3rd, I remember the day. And up until that point, I'm out there running on the streets of Seattle three or four days a week, three or four miles at a time with my running partners. We're out there up and down the hills all over. Perfect shape, perfect everything. January 3rd, 2015, I was trying to play around the golf with some friends of mine, and I just wasn't feeling good. My back was killing me. I was feeling nauseous. I'm sweating when we hadn't even started to tee off yet. I told the guys, I said, hey, you know, I think I'm going to go see my doctor. I don't, I don't really feel too good today. I went and saw my doctor, got to the reception area, vaguely remember seeing the reception counter, and everything went black. Boom. And I just fell right there on, on the lobby of the, of the, of the office. Hmm. They did a quick diagnostic scan, determined it was my heart, that I was having a uh, aorta dissection, which is... 98% fatal. Mm. If that thing bursts, you have about six more heartbeats and you're done. Mine was just hanging on by a very thin membrane. And they rushed me over here to Cherry Hill and open heart surgery, 12 hours. I woke up two weeks later. Oh, my goodness. Two weeks after a five-day medically induced coma to keep my body nice and cool so my brain wouldn't swell and there wow. wouldn't be damage. That began my journey into this darkness that I, I don't wish on my worst enemy. 
that was 215. 216, I had a, a follow-up surgery for the descending aorta. The first one was the ascending aorta. It laid me out again for most of the year, flat on my back. You can't do much for yourself. My business is kind of running on fumes. Um, it's being run by my management team, but that's not quite the same as having the owner uh, running his, his, mm-hmm. his or her own business. Um, and so that was... 2015, 2016, my mother passed away, 2016. My wife walked out on our marriage uh, and took her little boy with her. My stepson, we were married for five years, uh, just all of a sudden left without a word of notice or mention. Actually, I was out of town for the weekend. I came back and they were both gone. Hmm. I'm coming home to an empty house the next six months or so, and the walls are closing in on me every, every evening. And I found myself to a point where I couldn't sleep at night. I'm very anxious. Uh, My mind's racing 100 miles an hour at 2 in the morning. One thought, how to get more money into my business and try to save the thing, because I had spent all my life savings, all my NBA savings was poured into my business to try to save it, and it was gone. The other thought was how to exit this world. And I had it all planned out and all my methods I wanted to try to use if I was going to go that way. And I realized something was wrong after a couple of weeks of that, knowing myself as well as I do. I reached out to my family doctor and made an appointment with him. And luckily, he was a real good listener, compassionate man. He asked me a lot of probing questions. And he said, James, you are suffering from depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideations. Those big life events you had, uh, the heart surgery, your wife leaving, your mother passing, your finances, your business upside down, those are huge stresses that all happened within 12 months. Most people can handle one or two things. You know, we all know kind of that our parents will probably pass on at some point in our lives. If they, you know, that's just normal. Uh, but we don't expect a child to pass on. That's a big one. Yeah. We don't expect our spouse to pass on at some point, especially when we're young and vibrant and healthy. Uh, We don't expect a lot of these things. And we can typically, you know, after a grieving period, get through those one or two things. But when it's six or seven or eight things on top of one year, that becomes way too much. And so that's what I was facing. Uh, I, I filed for bankruptcy. I had no more money left. I lost my home in Magnolia I had for 40 years to foreclosure oh my goodness. and was basically evicted mm. and forced to move on to an apartment. So that is my story. That's why I went into this serious downward press cycle, spent 12 months in total darkness before I finally was able to work my way out of that. Mm. We're on with James Donaldson. He just wrote the book, Celebrating Your Gift of Life, former Seattle Sonic and community leader hearing just some powerful reflection on how to see the light through the darkness. Mm-hmm. I mean, what it, yeah. I mean, I know we'll get into this in the next segment, but give give our listeners just kind of the, you know, if they went to the kind of the towards the end of the mm-hmm. end of the book and read kind of the last chapter, what would they what would they read? Yeah, well, you know, when they hear my story, and I'm a man of faith, uh, still a, a weekly churchgoer up here at Mount Zion Baptist Church. I've been for 35 years. Love my church family. Uh, I knew even in the darkest, darkest point of time that God was still with me. Mm-hmm. I had no other friends, nobody checking in on me, but I knew God was still with me. And... 
I knew he was holding on to me because if I was trying to hold on to him, I surely would have let go at some point. But he held me and he got me through it. And when the darkness finally started lifting after eight or nine months of that 12 months, God told me, he's like, hey, James, you can now go out and help others. You've got this experience. You've got the, the empathy, the understanding of helping others now go through what you what I've brought you through. And... I knew that, and that's when I started up my foundation, a nonprofit foundation to help with mental health awareness, suicide prevention, to be able to go around the country and speak to our students, and men especially. Us men are just notorious for not wanting to reach out for help. We've got to be the big, tough, strong, silent type, and nothing hurts us. No, I'm trying to get our men to say, hey, I'm hurting. I need help. I'm going to go get help. I'm going to pull some loved ones around me to support me through all of this. And it goes against men's nature, I know. But, hey, I'm a big, strong, tough man. Uh, and I'm trying to tell all of us guys, you've got to be able to do this. Don't go through this thing alone. Don't start getting involved with destructive behaviors. You know, drinking and drugs and gambling and, and, and promiscuous behavior, strip clubs and nightclubs, just anything to forget the pain, as men typically do. Don't do that kind of thing. I didn't do it when I was going through it. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I don't drink or smoke anyway. I didn't get involved with drugs. Mine was just a series of life events. So if you're involved with those destructive behaviors, it's going to compound your problems. You've got to be able to say, hey, I need help, and reach out to your loved ones and ask for help. James, just, I'm, I'm so inspired by your example, and because that, if there's one thing I think we need in our world today is, is these kind of, yeah. of humble, transparent examples, because there's no question, there's no doubt yeah. that even right now, as we speak, mm -hmm. there are... Uh, men, young men, going through what you're describing, and and they absolutely they they need to hear the words that you are saying. That's right, That's because right. that is their lifeline. That's right. You know. That's right. I'm hoping I can resonate and touch something inside of them. And I've heard since the Eric Johnson piece from hundreds and hundreds of people via email, text messages, uh, my, my websites and everything else. A lot of them from men who are, who are confessing to me and sharing with me the very difficult dark time that they're going through or they went through. Mm. And for the first time, they're finally telling somebody about it. Wow. It's tough. It's Man. tough. I'm not sure if you knew what you were getting yourself into with that because you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of uh, you're gonna have a lot of folks that are gonna <laughs> you might need to get a team <laughs> team of guys to help you respond to to all these folks. My goodness. We're right in the midst of, of a, just a powerful, profound show. We've got James Donaldson in the studio, Seattle community leader, uh, former Sonic, just wrote a book, Celebrating Your Gift of Life from the Verge of Suicide to a Life of Purpose and Joy. And James, mm -hmm. just sharing the, you know, just here at break, you know, talking again about um, as, you, you know, you've been 
you know, comforted in your suffering. Now you're you're really on this this amazing mission with the book to mm. to give people hope. That's right. I mean, that that's is. Right. I mean, that's really what it comes yeah. down to. We need hope. Yes, and and that's what I hope uh, comes out of all of my efforts and all of my work, all of my showing my my vulnerabilities, telling my story, is that. We need a sense of hope. We need a purpose in life. When all those things happened to me, I had totally lost my purpose. I was no longer a business owner. I was no longer a homeowner. Uh, I was no longer a husband. All these things that I had been, I was no longer a top flight physical specimen being like I'd have been for all of my years. Uh, not with a heart issue, like I, I can barely go up and down a flight of stairs now without hanging onto the handrail. And so I've been just totally decimated to that point where I just had to rebuild myself. I felt like I felt like the old biblical character Job sitting on a dung heap and friends are saying, Hey, I don't understand or just curse God and die, curse God and exit this world. But I didn't want to do that, you know. The big catalyst for me to propel me through this thing was the unfortunate suicide of Tyler Helinski, Washington State University quarterback, back in January 2018. I remember that. Oh, yeah. That was right in the midst of my deepest, darkest point. Mm. And Tyler killed himself. And all of a sudden, the next few days, people are running around trying to tell Tyler's story, how great a kid he was, how they didn't see this coming. Why would he do this? All the unanswered questions. And that just kind of shook me to my core for some reason. And I told myself, I said, hey, I don't want people running around trying to tell my story. I'm going to make it through this thing, and I'm going to tell my story. And it made all the difference in the world. It gave me a, it gave me a method. It just rejuvenated me and enough strength day by day to get through it. I still had several months of total darkness to get through. But that moment in January 2018, and I'd just seen my doctor just about a week or so prior to Tyler killing himself. And I was watching my, talking to my doctor. We're about four feet, six feet away from each other right now. And I was sitting that far from my doctor. And that was one of the nights I was going to go home and end my life that day with my doctor. And my doctor's looking right at me and he's saying, hey, James, if you take your life, so many people are going to miss you. So many people love you. So many people care about you. And I looked right back at him, as serious as can be, and said, Doc, nobody's going to miss me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. That's, that's where you are in that place, you know? And it's a tough, tough place to be. A sense of hopelessness that is never going to get better. But I just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And finally, you know, with God's help, with medical prescription medications, with behavioral health counseling, a small intimate group of friends, my my two great coaches were were just my crutches, one on either side of me, George Raveling and Lenny Wilkins, helping me walk through this thing. I remember George telling me, hey, James, I've known you since high school. All the work that I put into you, all the work you put into you, I'm not going to let you throw it away. Mm. Is what George told me. Wow. Mm. That's a, 
Sounds like coach. What a good coach, man. <laughs> coach, yeah, once and always. Yeah. Once and always. And a dear friend, still a dear, dear friend, both of them. Um, both of them in their mid-80s now. And they're just terrific, terrific people who've been in my life for 40 years now. It's just wonderful. But George never stopped coaching me. He wasn't going to let up on me. Mm. And he wasn't going to let me give up on myself. Wow. Yeah. You need people like that. Absolutely. Yes, we do. Absolutely. And now now you're being that to a lot of people around the world now yes. because of you sharing your story. You're giving right. folks hope. That's right. Telling them that they are meaningful and that, that they do have purpose. They matter. They matter. I have a big sign in my window of my apartment, and I have downsized to this apartment living now. First time since I was on the campus of WSU, <laughs> I'm in an apartment. But hey, I'm still going. At least you don't eat, have to eat the food at Wazoo anymore. Right? <laughs> that's right. In the old rotunda and all that. Yes, <laughs> that's right. But I've got a big sign in my window that says, You matter because we all matter. And we need to make sure that we matter to ourselves first and foremost. And then we can go out and make sure everybody else matters as well. And so this has been a, a, a heck of a journey. I don't wish it on my worst enemy, but I totally understand it now. I totally get it. You know, when I went through my heart surgeries, I had an understanding and sympathy for people who went through very major surgeries and things. And I say, okay, now I, now I understand. I had knee surgeries and ankle surgery playing basketball, but not heart surgery. When I went through this mental health thing, I... It caused me to have empathy for everybody from any walk of life, no matter what they're going through, off the chart. Whether you're a homeless person out in the street or you've got major financial issues, business failures, physical failures, mental issues, I understand because I have been there now. Wow. We're talking to James Donaldson, Seattle community leader who just wrote the book, Celebrating Your Gift of Life. And the powerful story of finding hope, clinging on to hope right. in the middle of darkness. And James, how would someone get a hold of the book? Yes. And they're listening and they're maybe they're saying, I want I want to read the book. Yeah. I, I'd love to maybe even connect with James. I'd mm -hmm. love to ask him a question. Could could someone how, how would they connect with the book or, or right. do you have a website or a blog or anything? Of course, we've got the website, celebratingyourgiftoflife.com, where you can go and order. Now, when you order through the website, it personally comes to me. The order does. I can write out a nice little in, you know, inscription to you and sign it any way you want me to, personalize it for you. Or, of course, you can buy it from the online retailers, Amazon and Barnes & Noble, but they're not going to do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I will do that for each and every order that comes through my website. Uh, and so that's, that's what I like to do. I like to personalize it. I, I'm building a community of support of uh, mental health awareness folks. So... When you make the order through my website, you'll submit your email address. I've got you in the database. I communicate with you once or twice a week, letting you know what I'm up to, how things are going, some of the work that we're doing with our foundation. So it's a real, much more of a community aspect when you go through the website. That is, uh, and I prefer that. That is just that, that's really inspiring because you're just developing a yeah. community. There's there's accountability, and like you say, you're gonna you're you're giving people updates, and right. they can give you updates mm -hmm. and. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. my goodness. That's right. They have my email address. They shoot it right back to me. I'm always in conversation with five, six, seven people every single day yeah. about mental issues and challenges. Celebratingyourgiftoflife.com. Yes. Okay. Yes. We're having just an absolutely tremendous show with James Donaldson, Seattle community leader, recent author of Celebrating Your Gift of Life. He uh, just opened up here just sharing some really amazing, transparent thoughts of things that he experienced and no question is going to help so many other people. So James, thank mm-hmm. you for thank you for doing that. That, You're that, welcome. that means a lot. It's my calling, Tim. This is what I do now. So thank you so much. It means a lot. And yeah. and so um we also have some news. You know, we we do have a um, you know, this is my, I think, what, fifth or sixth week as the new host of Live from Seattle. Oh. And and we've had n- numerous times that, and, and, uh, and I know our listeners are so excited about the, the different exclusives we have. In fact, mm-hmm. we've had so many exclusives, James, that we came up with a little jingle every time we have an exclusive. Here, tell me what you think of this. Exclusive on Live from Seattle. <laughs> I like that. You like that? I like that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Exclusive. So, James, tell us, you have some exciting news. Um, if, yeah. if, if our folks, our listeners, for, particularly those who are within the city limits of Seattle, which yeah. isn't all of our listeners, but tell us, James, tell us the big news. Yeah, the big news. Well, as I mentioned before, God brought me through all that darkness and turmoil in my life and put me back on solid ground. I'm totally back together again. I feel great. Uh, mentally, physically, working my way back financially and settling back in. I just had a re- reset, I guess, or a restart this past summer, but I'm all good. Uh, I am going to make my announcement to run for the office of mayor of Seattle this year, and we'll make that announcement this week, probably tomorrow or the next day. So that's my big, big news. I feel so prepared for it. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I don't know if you remember, you and your listeners, that uh, about 12 years ago, right when the Sonics were leaving, I ran for the office of mayor then against Greg Nichols and Mike McGinn ended up winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came in fourth behind Greg Nichols. But at that time, I was, you know, I was a former professional athlete. I was an established business guy. I was a longtime Seattle resident. And that was about it, you know. This time, I got a lot of life experiences Mm. that resonate with just about everybody out there. I mean, you know, bankruptcy, foreclosure, eviction, losing my parent, my business failure, uh, my my life savings gone, my wife walks out on me, medical surgeries, four major surgeries in five years. I have been through the ringer, but Mm. I came out so much the better for it. And I feel so much more prepared now to relate so well to all of our constituents out there who are facing a lot of the same things, whether it's mental health issues or when the moratorium lifts evictions from their homes and foreclosure, Mm -hmm. business failures. I've been through all of that. I know what that's about. I feel them, and I know exactly how they must feel. So... As they say, you know, with with Queen Esther, we talk a scripture, you and I, a little bit. With Queen Esther, God has prepared me for a time such as this. Hmm. And I really feel that this is the time. It wasn't the time 12 years ago. 
this is the time. The city's down in a in a downward place. I was down in a downward place, and I rebounded back to mm-hmm. my old self again. Seattle can rebound back to its old self again, and that's the work I want to do. Yeah, that's uh, so. James Donaldson just announcing his candidacy for mayor mm-hmm. of Seattle. The mm-hmm. official announcement coming in the next couple of days. Yes. I, the first question, James, I would ask you, and, I, and I've had many friends who have been in politics here in Seattle, yeah. and and uh, of course, you know, the last probably three, four years has been mm-hmm. interesting to say the least, right? right? I mean, a lot of, in some ways, toxicity, divisiveness, um, the, the kind of collegial nature mm-hmm. of things has somewhat disappeared. And I think some would say, or at least the first question someone would say is, why would you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I realize it's a thankless job. I do realize that. I realize even if I, I win 55% of the people, 45% is still going to be totally against me. I realize that's the nature of politics. But, you know, I cannot sit idly by and watch some knucklehead just come out of nowhere, win enough votes to become our next mayor because you don't know where that person is going to take us. I have a good background. I have a good sense. I've got common sense approach to where we need to get back to. I remember when Seattle was called the the the, uh, the crown jewel of the Pacific Northwest. Remember mm. those days? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. When it was called the Emerald City. Oh, yeah. Uh, back, back in the, I remember, now I wasn't here then, but back in the 70s, they had a big billboard out on I-5 saying, hey, the last one out of Seattle, turn off the lights. Yeah, yeah. So we've well, been down. Yeah, I've talked numerous times here on the show about, you know, when I grew up, we were um, always considered and we always ranked on these surveys that would come out nationally. We'd always be like the number one most livable city. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember just being so proud. I mean, and, yeah. and I'm still proud. Yes. However, that has taken a hit yeah. oh, <laughs> oh, oh. on some levels. Yeah. And but, man, I, I grew up here and. I've just always been everywhere I've gone when I've gone off to college and I talk, you know, about, oh, Seattle, this, Seattle, that. Oh, and yeah. but that has taken a hit recently. Right. It Where really it's is. like, yes. man, you know, there's yes. the, the, that the, the kind of things that we've been known for. Now we're known for some other things. Right. Unfortunately, I mean, this past summer, we became the laughing stock of the United States. Our summer of love, you know, this mm-hmm. experiment, whatever we were trying to do. Our city council wanting to defund the police and just basically put them in handcuffs where they can't police anymore. We've lost 200 police officers in 2020 alone. We'll probably lose another 100 or 200 this year because these police are getting out of here, uh, either facing retirement or they're just going to an easier an easier gig somewhere else. Mm-hmm. My my three or four main issues really is to revitalize our downtown business core. I mean, we've got to get our businesses back in business. Uh, to take care of the homeless problem, I'm all about intervention. Finding out what's wrong and what's going on with these people, giving them the services they need, and then finding housing off the streets. we got to get these tents off the streets and put them in the housing where they can receive proper treatment services. Another one is to fully fund our police. I'm not. I'm against defunding the police. I'm pro-police, pro-law enforcement. We've got to make sure that they can do their jobs. If it requires additional training to de-escalate or to figure out racial tensions and issues, we can train them to do better at that. 
but we don't need to defund them. So those are my three or four main points that I'm working on and I'll, I'll be running on. Yeah. Are you um – I got to. I don't know if you're connected to him. He's a he's a good friend of mine. Do you know Andre Taylor? Yes, I know Andre you, Taylor. Very are you well. connected to him? Yes, you are. I've met with him several times because yes. he he would be. Mm-hmm. I'm just as I'm hearing you talk. Yeah. He, he, I think he might be a good ally, yes. friend, um, in in yes. the work. He's of course our our street czar. That's he took right. some time off he because he had some health issues. Yes. But he actually, he, we were texting yesterday. He came back with a bang yesterday with his mm. plan. I don't know if you saw mm, that or not. I didn't but, see it. No. But no. he he came out and because he's been pretty, you know, l- you know, low profile the last few months. Yes. But yes. He came out with a plan yesterday about how to approach um, street violence and okay. things of that Good. nature. Good. I, I could see, you know, he he would be a great ally. What James? What is? I mean, your your platform. What would you do? You have like a a theme like that you're going to put on your yard your yard sign or you know anything like that. Or? Well, our our team name is Team Donaldson because I'm a very old team concept kind of guy. We're using my old moniker from my NBA day NBA days where I was nicknamed Dukes because of all the fisticuffs and the dust ups I get in game after game, always fighting somebody and defending myself. Defending you were the myself. Dennis Rodman before there was Dennis Rodman. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, so they called me Dukes, and so now we are using the name James Dukes Donaldson, fighting for you, fighting for Seattle. We want to bring Seattle back to its great glory that it used to have. And it's going to take some work. It will. It's not going to happen overnight. We didn't yeah. get here overnight. Yeah. It's going to take some work, but we can definitely do this. Uh, with my 40 years here in Seattle, I've worked with every community in Seattle, every ethnic community, every community of color, every white community. I've been around working with education and mentoring our young boys to become you know, respectable young men, keeping kids in school, encouraging us to do better. And so we can do it. I'm going to put a great team around me because I don't have all the answers and I don't profess to. But you bring people in who are better knowledgeable about these things than I am. Yeah. But I can definitely resonate and talk to folks because of the things that I've been through only over the last five or six years for sure. Yeah. If you had to pick one person to be your deputy mayor, who would it be? That is a very good question. Usually there's three or four deputy mayors, as you know. But uh, I don't know. I I really haven't given that thought. Uh, Right now I'm thinking about the staff and and chiefs of staff and those kind of folks. Haven't thought about a deputy mayor person yet. Yeah, okay. You you got somebody in mind? I don't, but I just (laughs) – you can always tell a lot, right, by a candidate by, Mm -hmm. okay, here's here's who's going to be your your number two or your number three. Yes, um, yes, yes. I want to get away from the politics as usual kind of, uh, you know, paradigm we've been in. Uh, I'm not a politician. I've never held elected office before. Don't really want to be politics as usual. But I think you do need some folks who know where all the all, all the bodies are buried, you know, the skeletons and things around Seattle who know right. the political landscape very well, very, very well. Right. So and I've known, I've been friends with all the old city council members before this current council group. The Tim Burgesses, the Bruce Harrells, the Sally Bagshaws. These have all been great friends and good mentors of mine, getting me ready for this. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of those three or four right. would be a great deputy mayor to bring on board. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. 
That's I like that. That's that's how you do it. I like that. Yeah. We had Sally on Bagshaw a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> she was on the show. Sally's great. You know, Tim, you know Tim and I who are close friends. Mm-hmm. He, he and I co-founded Together Washington, which oh, is good. which is what my good. My other job, yes, that I do. Good, I didn't know that, but good. Yeah, yeah, I'm in touch with Tim all the time. Good, and Sally from occasion. I haven't talked to Bruce yet, but I'll get a hold of Bruce as well. Yeah, uh, Tim doesn't feel it really is his calling at this point of his life. He's going to be 72 years old. He told me next month or two. Right. He feels like you know he's he's done his time in this hot seat. Yeah. But he would be a wonderful, uh, you know, wingman. Oh, <laughs> I guess oh. you can call me that. <laughs> no, he, yeah, he, he's a smart guy. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So we're on with James Donaldson. James, who is, uh, you know, former Washington State Cougar, mm-hmm. played under Coach George Raveling, played for Coach Lenny Wilkins, yeah. played for Dick Mata. Yes. Yes. Played for Jerry Sloan, Sloan you, Pat, Pat Riley. Pat Riley. <laughs> oh, We're yeah. just going to go down the list here. And then um, yeah. he shared with us his book, Celebrating Your Gift of Life. Um, and you can check that out, celebratingyourgiftoflife.com. And just uh, told us he is going to be announcing here mm-hmm. in the next two days for um, candidacy for mayor of Seattle, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Yeah. Very, you. very exciting. As we close up the show today, what a tremendous show. James Donaldson is here in studio, and he just uh, told us his intention of running for mayor of Seattle. He's going to make his announcement here in the last couple, in the next couple days. He uh, has been a longtime community leader. James, this is, um, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Our city, yeah. we're at a crossroads, right? We're at a yeah. we're at a crossroads moment right now in terms of what kind of city are we going to be? We really are. I mean, we need elected officials who actually listen to their constituents. Uh, you know, I, you've seen the old YouTube video where our city council members are having their heads down and you know hurrying people along on their two minutes at the open mic. And that's just uncalled for. That's total disrespect for a constituent. And we all have valid points. We all have opinions and perspectives and voices that need to be heard. And I'm that kind of guy. I like talking to people. I like meeting people. I like putting a smile on people's faces. And that's just the way I've always been. Uh, You know, should I become mayor, I'll be out at a different elementary, middle school, high school every single day. Just visiting, dropping in on on classrooms, dropping in on assembly, telling the kids, hey, hang in there. Keep being the best you can be. You matter. You'll be great. Okay? And just leave them with those little nuggets, and then I can move on to my rest of my job for my day. Meeting constituents from all over the city. I want them to be able to – and you know me, Tim. I, I can't hide. You know, it's, it's seven foot two and uh, extra tall and extra big. I can't hide anyway. So people pull me aside on the streets all the time and talk to me. I want them to continue doing that. I don't need a big posse of bodyguards around me or anything like that. No, no, no. Let's make it transparent. Let's make it welcoming. Everybody matters in this city. 
Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Uh, count count me in for that vision, James. Thank you. Count yes, me in yes. for that. Thank you. And as you make your announcement here in the next couple of days, do you do you have uh, a site that you know is going to be up that maybe people can be watching um, and kind of get a little more on yes. what your platform will be? We are finishing our website today as we speak, teamdonaldson.com. Okay. It will be activated probably tomorrow or the next day, whenever day we announce we will do a photo shoot or a little little uh, media broadcast. Probably, I don't really like this one, but space or the Seattle Center. It's kind of old traditional stuff. Everybody does that. I'd rather be down here in front of these boarded up windows and shops in Pioneer Square. There you go. There you and go. And say, hey, this is the Seattle we're looking at now. There's yeah. a reason why we're here. These shop owners are afraid to pull these boards down because they know the windows will be broken out again Mm -hmm. and the police won't do anything about it due to our city council. I want to be in front of that kind of visit, you know, vision. Yeah. And show people this now, a year from now, all the windows are opened. The boards are down. The downtown is thriving again. That's yeah. what I want to do. Yeah. Have you connected with John Scholes, CEO of the Downtown Seattle yes. Association? Yeah, I'm in touch with John Scholes, Good. also the Restaurant Association people. I met with uh, the fellow from uh, Cherry Creek uh, Coffee House today on uh, down here at First Avenue on Pioneer Square. He's the one that was in Seattle Time about a week and a half ago. Yeah. And was talking about a huge amount of money he put into a surveillance system because his employees were constantly being threatened. Hmm. And he just put it in there and said, hey, let's make sure that we protect our employees first. Great guy. So yeah. I'll, be work- I'll be working with everybody out there. Yeah, James, so good to have you on the show. It's been an, Thank you. a pleasure to mm-hmm. have you on. Thank and you. it's been, I mean, really powerful. If folks, if you're just tuning in to yeah. the show today, I really want to encourage you to listen to the whole, yeah. the whole show. It will be on the website as well as the podcast, Apple, Spotify, all that. So mm-hmm. please... Take a listen to it. James, thank you for thank being you. with us on Live from Seattle. Tim, it's wonderful to reconnect and see you in person. In person. This is amazing. I love it. Thank you so I love much. It. Thank you. Oh, well, what a what an absolute joy today has been. 